If you're ready for freedom from the grind, then passive income from real estate investing is the best way to get you there. If you don't know where to start or what to do next, then the Rent Roll Radio Show is the best place to get you there. Join us while we discuss the best practices, strategies, and mindset you'll need and give you actionable content to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Front Row Radio listeners, this is your host, Sterling Chapman. I have a really cool special guest today that I'm really excited to be on. I've been on his show. I've been following his content for a couple of years now. Man, it just keeps getting better and better. It just keeps ramping up. So I reached out to him and um, and he was gracious enough to, to, to bless us with his presence. Jamie Gruber, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us. Bless you with my presence. Yeah, I like that. That's I needed that for my ego. Thank you, man. It's an honor. I love being. I went and watched some of your shows. I got a sense of what you do. I love being on shows. So thanks for having me. That's awesome. And you follow me on Facebook. So you should have seen that because I posted 800 times a day. But I guess you just didn't. I just guess you just didn't get on at that time that I posted it. That's right. That's right. We were talking about this. You want me to dive into that or do you? Yeah, want to go ahead. Go ahead. I, I set it up. You got it. Because now our <laughs> listeners are in the dark and they're like, what the hell are they talking about? Well, you said it, the, the the context on this, within a minute of getting on, we were talking about content, content creation or volume of content. And you said it, and you're right. When somebody asks you, hey, how do I get more reach? You're like, you just got to keep putting stuff out there. Keep putting content out there. You, that advice is 1000% solid. The problem is, and I have this as well, I become insecure or nervous that I'm annoying or putting out too much or overwhelming people, or I'm going to repel too many people. And I was telling you, I think this has happened so many different times. Like I have, you know, I have a small following, but there's a, there's a subset within that following that I see liking, commenting, messaging me on everything that I do almost to an annoying degree in that regard. Right. Like it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I, thank you for, thank you. I I'm humbled, but my God, there's only so many DMS I could deal with in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I recently, a few different times, but recently I marketed an event or a zoom call that I was doing with a guest. I don't even remember what it was, but I went nuts marketing this and I was getting kind of cringy within myself. Like, this is too much. This is annoying. People are going to be like, dude, stop. And like the day or two before the event was supposed to take place, five of those loyal followers I talk about who DM me and like, and comment message me like, Hey, is there anything coming up soon? Like, are you hosting anything? I'm like, you gotta be kidding. If they didn't hear all the stuff I put out there and I was so nervous about putting out too much, then you really can't. There's it's almost impossible. If not, maybe truly impossible to put out too much content, just the way of the world. It really is. And, and, and those, those new investors there, and, and dude, I'm so insecure about it. Like you just mentioned, you put out more content than anybody I know. And you just mentioned you're insecure about it. me. I post two videos a day to every social media platform. Uh, I I don't actually do it. My marketing director does it. And, 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 And I say it that way because it's important that there is that degree of separation because I would never in my life post two videos of myself talking on social media a day. Like it just wouldn't ever happen. Like what I do is I, I, I wait all week. So I have a good day at the gym and I've prepped and I'm, I'm all pumped up with, you know what I mean? And I get a camera and I'll sit there and I'll, I'll record 20 videos and I won't watch them and I'll give them to Cole and he'll schedule them out on social media. That's the only way it gets done for me. Now, what are those curious? What do those videos entail? Thoughts, things that pop into your head, taking notes while you're at the gym and fired up and you just kind of roll through concepts or thoughts or things that are popping up in your mind. 
Yeah, well, it's it's typically it, so I'll, I will typically make a list ahead of time, right? So I just do the video when I'm all hopped up on endorphins and I'm in a good mood, right? Oh, gotcha. because because you know half the time I'm I'm tired, I'm irritated, you know what I mean? I'm like I'm gonna get on a camera and sound like uh, you know, and I'm I'm dealing with all this you know day to day grind garbage. But when I like on a good day when I leave the gym with a good pump and I'm I'm you know I, I shower, get dressed there, and I'm I'm I, and I've already got that list of content ideas. So I just, I keep a, I keep a, um, I use uh, Evernote and, and, and all day long, all day. I mean, I wake up at two in the morning. Hey, that's a good idea. And I'll put it in there. And then I just keep them on a yellow pad. I've just got that standing list of content ideas. And then whenever I'm, whenever I'm feeling good or whenever my marketing director gives me a nudge and says, Hey, we're running out. We need you to do something. Then I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll go through that little thing. But but I've just found that degree of separation just makes it so much easier because I am insecure. I don't like I don't like the way I look on the you know what I mean? Like I just would never do it. It was kind of like the property management, like having a, a property manager that works in my, like a degree of separation. Like I'm a terrible landlord. I, I'll give everybody I'll give it. Oh, you got you got babies and you, you can't afford your rent because one of them's in the. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Pay me whatever. Like, you know, and it, 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 several years later, I've come to find out that that every single one of my tenants has children in the hospital every single month. But, you know, like I couldn't, but like my property manager is a nicer person than I am. Right. Like if it was her properties, she'd probably give away more, but it's not up to her. Right. Right. Because right. there's a degree right. of separation. She, she can't she's, do it because yeah. her boss told her she can't do it. She's got deniability, right? Like, Hey, yeah. it's not mine. You understand. I can relate to you that you have a boss. I have a boss. It ain't me, but you yeah. are the boss and you're the direct owner. So the, the tenant knowing that you feel that, well, I can make this decision and there's this human standing in front of me. I completely agree, man, whether it's property management or posting. I mean, that's why that's honestly probably the one brilliant thing about corporate America. The layers allow for humanity right. to be eliminated. So I, it makes it makes total sense. So let's go back because we skipped your introduction altogether. Um, <laughs> I I'll, I'll, I usually don't do much of an introduction. I'll say this is blah, blah, blah with XYZ company and tell your story. But I'll give you a little pre-introduction. So I... Uh, joined a group called we've we've interviewed many Go, Go Bros on this on this podcast a, a group called Go Abundance a couple years ago and Jamie is uh, one of the leaders in that group and he hosts the podcast for for the Go Abundance community as well as I think at some point if you're not still currently leading the Emerge program the cattle uh, the the feeder program that that prepares folks um, that maybe don't qualify yet and, and is a catalyst to get them to where they qualify to enter abundance from like a net worth requirement. And um, he also raises you, you, you you're part of a capital company yep. where uh, you raise capital and, and buy apartment communities in Colorado, I believe. Mostly Denver. Yeah. Mostly Denver. And uh, so yeah, yeah, Jamie pretty much does everything I do except for a lot better. Um, oh, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like the wish version of Jamie with better hair, much better, much better <laughs> hair. <laughs> so That's, can you go back and kind of tell us, tell everybody your story about how you quit your insurance job and how you started doing this and what you're yeah. doing today? I think I'm every man in this way and people can relate. I'm sure you can relate at some point in your life, but we're conditioned to do things the way in which we see them. My whole thing was, look, you, you graduate high school, you go to college, you get a job, get a nice car, find a woman, get married, buy a house, have two, three kids, do all that by 28, and then just ride it out until you're 65. Hopefully you make it retire and go have fun at that point. And so my story really begins with checking each of those boxes in my early 20s. I didn't finish college, but I went. I never liked it. 
I find the girl at 21, 22, you know, I bought a decent car, bought a house, was engaged to get married to her. And in that time frame, this is probably mid to late twenties is when I realized, I started to realize like, I, I don't think this is, this is the life I want to live. I think this is the life. Oh, I know this is the life I've been conditioned to live. And I've been applauded right. for doing so by my parents, by, Oh, you found right. the girl, you got the house. You what got do you mean job. you're going to quit your dream job? <laughs> so the first, the first moment of knowing that this wasn't for me was around 30. I ended the marriage or the wedding, I should say. I never got married. I ended the wedding three weeks before the wedding was supposed to take place. That was sort of red pill moment number one for me. Number two came about 14 years later, 12 years later, when I quit my $400,000 a year corporate gig with Progressive Insurance, big insurance company. I was a, a, an executive top you know, two, 300 guy, 50,000 person company, big job. Was there 21 years. A couple of years before that, I had found the 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 power of real estate. Started investing a little smaller. Found GoBundance. Realized I had to think a little bit bigger. Started going bigger, and that allowed me, along with the other things you mentioned, the podcast and the Emerge community as a business, some other businesses, to walk away from the job uh, about two and a half years ago, as we record this, so early 2021. And yeah, from that point, I I had set a vision that I want to travel with my family anywhere in the world for three plus months. That was sort of the thing compelling me and driving me forward. So when I left the job. And then for a year, I realized like, okay, I haven't gone broke. I'm not destitute. <laughs> I'm able to actually, it looks like I got something here. I sustained a life outside of the job. It was time to execute the vision. So last August, this was August of 2022, my wife, two boys and I moved down to the Dominican Republic. We're spending at least one year. So as we record, we're mid-July. So late August, we're considering coming back at least for a few months and then maybe back here for the winter. Uh, but it's been an incredible adventure. And um I'm amazed at how much change has happened in the last, I mean, two years, let alone five. It's really incredible that that quote, like you underestimate what you can do in a year, but I'm sorry, you overestimate what you can do in a year, but underestimate what you can do in five. It's insane to look back and be like, it felt like such a long time, but looking back now, it wasn't. And it's incredible to change in my life. Absolutely. I love hearing. So tell me more about how real estate came into your life, what you started doing, and then like how GoBundance, like shaped you into going bigger and what, what going bigger looks like. So in 2005, this is when I had the girl and I was supposed to buy the house. So I bought the house. This is pre-08. I bought the house 100% sell or financing as you could back then. It was, hey, here's 20% down from a flexible 40-year uh, line of credit. And here's the other 80% in a standard mortgage, right? <laughs> and then and then six months later, I doubled down and cash out refied like seven grand. It wasn't even a lot. But I cash out. It's more than closing cost. <laughs> so I went higher in the debt. Like this, this it always goes up. Everyone's telling me you just you just wait for appreciation to ride it up and it goes away. Yeah. Come 2008, I get a promotion at work and move to Boston. At the time, there was a package that they usually gave you where they would buy your property, but because of 08, my company would. Because of 08 and all that was happening, they they suspend that and they say, but we will give you a $25,000 loss on sale. So whatever you paid, if you lose $25,000 off of that amount, we'll pay that for you. Couldn't sell the house. Couldn't get rid of the house. So I have now a property in upstate New York. I'm six hours away in Boston and I'm a landlord. And you said it, man. Hey, can I double up the rent next month? My tenant would say uh, something came up or... Uh, do you mind if I if I discount this and do that? All of it, man. All yeah, my mother's gonna move in for a while. Like, yeah, okay, cool. Doesn't matter to me. Just <laughs> all of the things that you said uh, were bad, and I hated it. I thought this isn't for me. This is an albatross. I need to get rid of this house. The moment the market rebounds, I got to get rid of this house. Well, come two thousand, I don't know, sixteen. This is a long time. Eight years, uh, ten years. I own this house at this point. Come two thousand sixteen, the house does not rebound in value. Dying town in upstate New York. 
I reread Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm in my 30s now. Read it once in my 20s, thought it was cute. Read it in my 30s. Right. I'm like, holy crap. I, I, I got it. So reread it. And I'm like, I got to buy more property. I already have one. So let me just kind of convert that. So I refinanced it, made it actually cash flow. Before that, it was kind of a break even. Sure. I got professional about it. Like I, I turned it into an asset in my brain. And then we bought two duplexes, two distressed duplexes, near, not too far away from that town in upstate New York. They were inexpensive. I think it was 170 for the two. We estimated $35,000 in rehab cost. It was closer to 80. And we, we, uh, we went about burring those two properties. And thankfully, we were able to do pretty well with those two properties. But this is where GoBundance comes in because I was like, okay, 400 grand a year. I want to replace. I got two duplexes paying me like, I don't know, like $600 a month. It's right, going to take right. a while. I got to get a lot of duplexes. So I go into GoBundance. I state my goal. I want to travel with my family three months uh, plus per year. I want to leave my job. I said within 10 years. And they're like, if you looked at multifamily and that's apartment buildings, man, that's apartment buildings. You buy apartment buildings. Are you crazy? That's such a huge, like, how am I going to buy an apartment building? So for me, I started with trying to, trying to uh, negotiate with brokers, not negotiate, start trying to uh, network, excuse me, with brokers. And I realized that brokers don't really care about my five single family units, right? The commercial brokers are, a they don't care group. about my, they don't care about my 80. <laughs> right. They're a co commercial closers matter to them. Those that haven't doesn't matter. So I started a meetup group because I wanted to create a face in my market for me being in the multifamily space. And we start this meetup group called Multifamily More, me and a partner that I had found. Uh, and from that meetup, we were brought a 16 unit. We were brought a 22 unit. We bought them. We, we improved them both. And we were off to the races on multifamily. Uh, and then it accelerated, to your point, in GoBundance when I met my partners, Mark Henteman, Nick Amaluxen with Quantum Capital. And they said, hey, do you want to put down the Midwest apartment building buying thing and come partner with us as an as a, uh, a capital raiser and a an investor relations guy? And for me, honestly, it was a it was a a clear it was a clear learning. And that is many of us get into real estate thinking, I think that we have to do it all. We have to know how to underwrite, or not know how to write. We have to be passionate about underwriting and passionate about acquisitions and passionate about asset management and passionate about capital raising, all of it. When I'll be honest with you, I enjoy the contact part of real estate. I don't like sure. underwriting. I don't like asset oh, yeah. management, right? It's not my thing. So joining a team as a general partner, it was like, yeah, just stay in your lane where you're great sure. within real estate. And I think a lot of people yeah. that are in their job and they're trying to do, they want to do it all. And it's like, if you can underwrite or if you're an analyzer or if you're a great connector or interacting interactive person, or if you're a great integrator, you can line up a visionary's mission and kind of knock it down on the battlefield. Those three things independently are very valuable to a somebody like you, a high-end partner who has a business mm -hmm. and needs that energy in their business. And I found my way there with Quantum and I was off to the races. That's awesome. So how how is Quantum going? And 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 the when what year did you start with Quantum? Two years ago, whatever that is, twenty one. So yeah. yeah, so so you're like Sterling. Y'all y'all have bought, I'm assuming, a, a handful of properties, and now and now we're in the market yeah. that we're in. But from my very brief recollection, y'all are pretty. Y'all's projects are pretty low leverage. Is that correct? Very. Yeah. The the. And this isn't this isn't like I had this wisdom going into it. If anything, I I kind of back end lucked into understanding the power of this. But my, my general investment thesis, not that it's ever been very clear, is I, I I'm not highly risk averse in terms of I'm not going to go out and invest in a Broadway play. That's just I, I don't get that right. I invested in a a consumer product, and it makes me really nervous because I really don't know the space. It was a groupthink right. investment. Knock on wood, it's worked out so far. 
But I get real estate. I understand it. I've been in it enough. I understand the terminology and what can happen and the value of it and how to analyze markets and all of that. When I joined Quantum, what was interesting to me was they were buying similar assets to what I was, uh, uh, older, distressed, BC-class workforce housing, say 20 to 40 units. That's the stuff I was I was looking at in Midwest markets. The difference is they were buying in premier markets, like great neighborhoods in great cities, Austin, Denver, even LA, some really cool neighborhoods in LA. So there's just sort of like stability and potential appreciation on that specific submarket. But then the debt terms, like this was the thing I didn't truly fully appreciate when we started buying with them or when I started buying with them. But now, as you said, riding through this, it's like, thank God. Our deals are, I think, on average, 58% loan to value. I think that's so oh, wow. important. And our terms are somewhere between, say, 7 and 15 years. So our debt terms have a lot of life on them. And some of those even have optional extensions, granted, with interest rates increasing. But still, we don't have to get out of a deal. So those two variables yeah. to me made it really important. Go for it. Yeah, that's that's great. And that's the kind of debt you can get in those top tier markets and that top tier asset classes. And that that's kind of like the trade-off you make, right? Like, like yes. you know you're gonna cash flow way better on a like a 1970s vintage kind of C plus, right? But like in a tertiary market, but you're not gonna get the debt on that that you would in one of these, one of these primary markets with this higher asset class. It's just too stable. Agreed. And the other, I absolutely agree. The other variable is teaming with an operator with an incredible track record. So Mark Henteman, the guy who leads it, he's been sure. investing for 23 years, 22 years in multifamily. He's rode through syndicating the OA crisis and didn't lose any money as money on any deal. So when we go to banks, the asset class, absolutely. The market, absolutely. And then the reputation is a variable in there that I wouldn't on my own be able to leverage Without leveraging the fact that Mark has the experience he does, but but you you've you have since borrowed some of that right, and so, so in the future you would, yes. you would now now you're signing on loans now you're you're yeah I mean that's I I say that a lot to kind of like newbies that are coming in like well well how do I do a, a flip or how do I do a apartment comp? how do I do it if I've never done it before and I was find somebody who has done it before I mean that's yeah. my my first the first time I ever fixed up a property. Like I bought a couple of single family rentals, but but I didn't know how to like, I didn't know how to change a doorknob. And then I bought, I bought these two duplexes that needed to be totally renovated. I, I didn't have any money. I didn't have any experience. I didn't, I had a friend of mine who flipped houses and I knew he had investors that funded his house flipping business. And he, he managed the construction of the house. So I went to him. I said, I got these deals under contract. Use your investors, use your knowledge renovate them, add me to the title. I'll do a cash out refinance. I'll pay everybody back and give you 50 grand. And that's exactly what happened. And then the next time I went to go do a project, I had, I had experience because I had renovated two duplexes and they just gave me the money. hundred percent. The, the first multifamily we did a 16 unit, a couple brought it to us at that meetup and we partnered with them. Me and my, so it was four of us on a $750,000 purchase. It was 55 grand a person 5,000 out of my pocket, 50,000 on a loan for my 401k at the time. That's how I funded it, right? It wasn't, it was five grand out of my pocket. But after that, we bought out the partners on refi a couple of years later. I had credibility to go be the sponsor on the 22 unit that we bought. And then we had another 22 unit under contract before I joined Quantum. And now correct, I've got the credibility there. I think giving away or not even giving away, I think getting the deal done trumps getting the best deal. Hundred percent. Meaning, if you had a if you had a a hundred unit property, let's say you found it somehow, you beat everybody to the market on this. You found this hundred unit and you were able to get it wrapped up under contract. 
If you got 1% of that deal, but came to you or a guy like Devin Elder or whomever, somebody that's a seasoned operator and, and you're just part of that GP for a low percentage and you've got that credibility, you're in the, in the thick of it, you're in the works on the back end of that property, give as much as you need to away on that first one because that credibility will buy you way more on the second, third, fourth, fifth one. You'll be able to do it on your own. I think that's great advice, Sterling. Absolutely. So I want to talk about, I want to... Uh, I want to hit two major topics before we go while I have you. One major topic is I want I want you, if you could, to to clearly articulate and summarize your general message that you put out. I loved I loved the the piece you put out the other day about this being the sixth version of yourself since you quit your job. That's that is amazing, man. I was a syndicator. I was a house flipper. I was a property manager. I was I was you know what I mean. We're yeah. just trying to go through the different things to just make it work, you know. And so I, I love your your overarching message about a different way to live and quitting your job and overcoming the fear. So I want you to, I want you to sell your message or or deliver your message to my my group because I love hearing it and I want them to hear it too. And then after that, I want to dive into the economy and and um, I just know that you have so much reach from the people you interview, and I would imagine you have have got a good bit of insight on our current environment. I just love for you to share that with our listeners. Sure, I'll do my best on that one. The uh... The message. So I would say this, what drives me nuts for me, and then what makes me sad in seeing other people go through this is accepting the a lifestyle where you are unfulfilled in what you do. There was a there was a, a great interview I did with a guy named Sebastian Younger. He's written a bunch of books. He wrote The Perfect Storm. I don't know if you ever saw the movie, mm -hmm. but he wrote the book that became the movie. And he's written other books since then. And he talked about the three variables that make for happiness. And number one, the number one one is that you are competent and fulfilled in what you do, competent and fulfilled in what you do, like the work that you do. That's number one. Number two is that you're living authentically. That's equally important. Number three is that you have a community to share that with. But that first one, and even that second one is where my message lies, essentially. I, quit your job is the sexy candy coating. Everybody wants to do it. So it's an easy right. marketing statement, right? Oh, quit your job, quit your job, quit your job. The people I talk to most are your, I'll just say 35 to 45 year old male making 150 grand a year, two kids and a wife at home. That's the standard. There's always deviation from that, but that's kind of the guy. That's me. That, <laughs> that's right. And that, but that, but that guy is completely unfulfilled with their W2. They, they know they're capable of more, but they're afraid to take the jump. And what you just said is kind of part and parcel to the message. And I learned this for myself. We're conditioned, right? 17 years of schooling, 13 years of kind of primary high school, and then four years of college. And then we set out on these careers that are 10, 15, 20 years long. So when we get the gumption to, I want to do something, I'm going to build it on the side that's going to release me from this job. We feel this pressure to be right in the choice that we make. Like it's got to be the thing for the next 20 because our life has gone in 15 to 20 year cycles so far. And what I've learned, and it wasn't like I, I knew this, I learned this as I went, is whatever you want to do, whatever that idea is, you just need to pursue it. And unlike, I think, the W-2, pursuing a path and it not working out does not reset you back to zero. It just stacks onto the next thing and the next thing. So to your point, if I were to identify me today versus me even two, three years ago and where I was going... I was going to be a mom and pop multifamily buyer with a hundred units that I own with a partner. That was the right. objective. Right. That pivoted to, well, I like this and I like multifamily, but I really like the, the networking part. So all of a sudden I became a, a meetup group owner. I had 
21 meetups around the country. Right. It was sort of a syndicate of meetups, 16,000 members, this whole thing called multifamily and more creating content, being invited to speak at conferences on not even multifamily, but like, how do you leverage networking to build your multifamily portfolio? Right. Like that was the niche I carved out and I got a lot of fulfillment from. And then over time, it was like, there's only so many times I could say today, the magic of cost segregation, right? There was just so many of those I could do. <laughs> so I had to move on. And I really enjoyed when I would get into a conversation, maybe like this one, where we get into mindset and peak performance and success habits and great stories. So that became, well, I'm a podcaster and I just happened to take over the, what was the GoBundance and now called Tribe of Millionaires podcast at that time. And then that created a merge. And so like, you know, three years ago before I left, the 20-year the, the plan was I'm going to own five 20-unit apartment buildings with a partner, and I'm going to ride it out, uh, add up the per door. That's my monthly, just like we all do, right? And then I, you realize that that's not as, it's not as easy as that. Yeah. But now I've gone from I'm going to buy a bunch of multifamily to I'm a podcaster and mastermind host, right? <laughs> like, how do you go from one to the other unless you iterate, unless you're willing to step out into mm -hmm. this world, into the unknown, and look at it and say okay, this isn't that scary. And I like a lot of this, but I don't like that. So if I put that down and do this, what does that look like? Oh, I guess that means I could be a syndicator and I can do things only in the capital raising and uh, uh, investor relations side. And then it's like, okay, but I also like this mindset stuff. Well, okay, this podcast will fill, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you find by stepping out and taking one step after the other that, yeah, you're going to be version 6.0 and, and in a year I'll be version 9.0. But you don't know until you're version 1.0. You have to start with version 1.0. You have to do something in order to get started if you if you don't like what you do. I like how you said you don't have to start over if you pivot, right? That's so incredible because like all of the all of the the versions of Sterling I just described, the property manager, the, you know, the 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 rental property owner, the flipper, the syndicator, like I'm still a version of all of those things, right? Yes. Like, like. I decided because interest rates are high and the flips aren't selling, I'm not going to flip 30 houses this year like I did over the last two years. I might flip three. And that $150,000 profit that I make from those three houses will be a good addition to the money I make from raising capital for my syndications and the money from the property management company. But like when I started to your, like you don't have to throw away the old if you start something new. When I first started, like you, in 2018, I wrote all my little goals. I was going to have five houses over the next 20 years. And two years later, I had 80. And, <laughs> and, but what I found was I still didn't make any money. Like I still didn't, it didn't like right. I was supposed, like the cash flow was supposed to set me free. And, and I'm replacing a roof and a drain line every freaking other month. And I just wasn't. So I was like, okay, well, I've got all these construction guys. I got all this deal flow. I got the, you know, the meetup and the podcast bringing things to me. I'll just start flipping for better cash flow. And dude, last year it was gravy train, you know, I mean, just stupid money with the flipping. And then the interest rates went through the roof and now I can't sell a house to save my life. So it's like, Ooh, what are we going to do for revenue now? You know, yeah. like, I, I, and also with the, with the apartment complexes, like I, I've, I've raised, you know, plenty of capital for apartment complexes and gotten acquisition fees, but like, I also invest in those money. So it's like, it's a, it's a, it's the not, goes right back in. Yeah. Dude, yeah. It, it, like times three. So it's not, it's like, it's not a net cash positive transaction. It's a long-term thing. Like I'm not going to like my five apartment complexes. I ain't really going to get paid for five years on them. Right. You know I mean? I got like a little bit up front, but I, I invested more than my acquisition fee in every single one of them. So like nice. that whole, like I've been spinning my wheels, spending money on marketing, you know, everything for, for years on this thing, 
you know, general partner in five apartment complexes, but that's not going to make me any money for five years. Right. You know right, what I mean? Right. So, so oh, like, I do. I'm still, a, I'm, I'm still a syndicator. We want to buy a couple more deals before the end of the year. I'm still a flipper. We want to flip a couple more houses. I still have 80 rental properties, right? I just, I'm just now like, as the market is do, doing the cycle, I'm just, I'm peppering in service work that can, that can sustain, a, a, you know, an economic down cycle. And then when it starts going back up, we'll, we'll start flipping more. We'll start, you know what I mean? Um, so that's where like property management, I just with my resources that I had available, it just didn't make sense not to do the property management. And then, you know, next quarter we'll go into third party construction as well, but they're all related. I, I always serve the same person I've always served. I serve busy professionals who know there's tremendous value in owning real estate, but don't want to have, don't have the time or energy to be as active as I am, right? The doctor that makes 500 grand a year, it doesn't make sense for you to be screwing around with rental properties, right? Like the lawyer who may, you know, or even the real estate broker or the guy who owns a mortgage broker. It's like, these are my avatars. And it's like the same investor I see over and over and over again. It's the guy, but it's the same customer I'm going to serve as, mm -hmm. as a syndicator. It's the same customer I'm going to serve as a property manager. It's the same customer I'm going to serve as a, as a construction. You know, if I fix up other people's rental properties and fix up other people's flips, it's the same customer. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, that's all like, yeah, it's, it's, three or four different businesses and it's crazy, but, but it's all very connected and it's all very funneled towards the same avatar. This is interesting because I, 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 it, I understand everything that you just said, 100%, not just intellectually, but like, I don't know, spiritually. What I, what I know though, people might hear is, well, wait a minute, Sterling, if you have an 80 unit portfolio, that's not cash flowing. And mm -hmm. then you're saying that these syndications, you get act fees. Like I, that's what I thought. Like, oh, you get you get big act fees, but you're saying you put them all back in plus some. So now I'm, I'm hearing no money from this, no money plus some from this. Okay, you got the property management, but like, how much is that? Like, right, how, right, are you, right. how are you? How are you able to? How are you? Are you even making any? Like, how are you here? Like, is this all a lie? You know, what, what are you right, talking? Right, right. How are you making money? And <laughs> I, I don't go ahead. Were you gonna say something? No, no, no. I, I was finish your finish your thought, yeah, but I've yeah. got a I've got a response to that. <laughs> I think what you just said, if if I'm going to I, boy, this is hard to like. I, I said this. I said this after a psychedelic retreat that there's only 177 thousand words in the English language, and there's just not enough to describe it. And this sort of goes along with the energy of money and the energy of 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 value. And I think if I dissect what you said, I think it clearly explains. How you, how I, because I'm in the same spot. I don't, I take an act fee right back into the property plus some. My, my, my active portfolio, I've sold all of it. I don't have any of it anymore. Everything's, everything I'm doing is with quantum. Just by, it wasn't because I wanted to necessarily, but it was like, well, these properties in New York, my dad was the guy kind of keeping an eye and he's getting older. So let's offload those. A partnership kind of turned sideways. We offloaded one of the other ones. So all my stuff is my general partnership. So, and again, those are five years down the road. Uh, sure. uh, values, right? It's not paying me big time cash flow. I'm invested in some other syndications, but we're talking a few grand a year, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, well, how do you, where's the money come from? And you said it, you are looking at who do I serve? And I think there's something in the idea that when you start there, like I am going to be in service, then your activities provide value to other people. And so you're sort of standing in this cyclone of the energy of money, if you will, Dude. because you're focused on the right thing. You're not looking at what do you get from all of this? You're looking at, okay, who do I serve? 
And when you ask that question, in fact, there's a great book, Built to Serve by Evan Carmichael, where he talks about purpose. Purpose gets you financially free. It gets you wealth. And purpose is serving. It's not my purpose is for me to be great. My purpose is to serve somebody else. When you're doing what you're doing, you're putting out an energy of service. When you're focused on value, adding value to others. Another quote, uh, don't, don't try to be a man focused on success. Be a man focused on value, right? Like when you're in, yeah. in the space of creating value, you are, you, are, you are sort of creating this bank around you of money that mm -hmm. is able to be exchanged for that value if and when you need to. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to describe that, but it's so, not like you, you, know, you can just uh, tap into like the universe, but I, am I making sense? I think I'm trying to articulate what you're saying, but go for it. You are 100% making sense and, you, and you're articulating a concept that I've never been able to articulate. And what it really boils down to is, first of all, we do make money, right? We do we do make money, our assets, like, because we own real estate, really. Like, our assets just go go up while we're sleeping. And then and if we lose money over here, well, we just sell that one that went up and we cover it. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, so, I mean, it is, I mean, we, we do make money, but because of what I do, because of the content that I put out, like I, I, I give away my education free. I mean, there's a market for it. I think, I think you charge, which I, I'm very supportive of charging for masterminds and everything. More of a mastermind it's just not, education, but yeah. Yeah, yep. it's just not my business model. Mine is like, give the content education away for free because we want everybody that follows us to become successful real estate investors because that's how we can serve you. If you get rich, we can serve you. We're, we're, we don't, we're not selling you anything. We're just literally trying to help you because you're not our best customer unless you're wealthy. Yeah. Yes. So we want you to be wealthy. That's it. It's that, that's focus on value. And, and, you know, somebody articulated for me once my own funnel, which I didn't realize I had, and we all have a funnel. Like I know it's a very markety type, type of term, but the podcast is my baby. It's got good reach. We get you know tens of thousands of downloads a month, and we're growing it, and we're going to grow it even more. And I love everything about it. I just booked some really cool guests, and I saw that. I'm fully focused on trying to provide as much value from that podcast. I study my ass off for every episode. I, I go in depth, right? So somebody said they're like, okay, I get it. So you've got the podcast. That podcast attracts people to you, and mm -hmm. then they join your community. So I have Go Abundance Emerge, right? The the Future Millionaires sure. Crew or whatever, and that is an income stream for me from a community that I that I serve. And you know, people get value, so great. I, I get value out of that as well. Mm -hmm. He's like, and then they trust you enough where I'm assuming when they join Go Abundance, you get something. I'm like, I do. When they come out of Emerge and go to Go Abundance, there's kind of a kickback to me, and that's great. He's sure. like, and then they invest with you. I'm like, holy crap! I can <laughs> name people where that exact same thing has happened. Hey, dude, I heard you on the podcast. I'm going to join your Emerge crew. Great, man. Come on in and network. They get to this million dollar mark, $2 million mark. They join Elite or Champion and go abundance. And they're there and they're they're like, wow, this is amazing. And now they got some money to invest. And they say, well, I want to put this somewhere. Jamie, yeah. I know you. I've known you for like a year and a half now. Like, I, I don't know any of these other operators. I don't know if your deal's Maybe you, maybe you're a sucky opera. I don't know, but I just don't want to place this money somewhere. And I know, like, and trust you. So that no, like, and trust piece is, I mean, millions in capital raised through that funnel. But to your point, it's not an attempt to like, Hey, let me trick you into something. It's let me just put out, put out, put out content value, something that I think you'll get to get something from. Let me just share my story. Be authentic. It draws people in. And that KLT, man, that KLT is the key, whether you're raising capital, you're selling a product, you have a mastermind or a course or whatever. When you get that KLT, that no like trust on your side, you have customers for life. Now the obligation is don't abuse it. Don't lose right. it. Right. And I, I see so, so many people abusing it and losing it. I'm like, 
why why are you selling suits right now? I just I just saw uh oh is that Panetta Panetta. I, I love that dude. But I swear to God, he just, just popped up on a he's like, hi, I partnered selling suits. I'm like, are you fucking serious? I saw the same thing. I was like, this is just, I mean, I I guess it's a business opportunity, but like, you know, be an affiliate, give a code on your podcast. Right. Like, hey, you know, <laughs> you get these suits to code, you know, this website slash Pineda or something. But like he's doing sponsored ads on his own <laughs> platform, selling jackets. It just it's weird, but they to each their own. <laughs> for sure now hey look i hope he doesn't hear this and decide he doesn't want to come on either one of our shows because either one of us he's, would love to have you <laughs> he's been on mine i've had him oh, on before, but yeah, oh cool yeah. cool cool <laughs> i'm gonna have to go back and check that one out yeah he was good he was good um but yeah man that's i think that's there's a lot to that i think there's a lot to that point so anyway <laughs> so let's start, let's let's switch gears if you don't mind what it, what have you been hearing about the environment our, our investor environment i know we get on these abundance calls once a week and I get different. I mean, I'm seeing different things in the streets than I'm hearing on the call. I'm just wondering, like, does nobody want to say the emperor doesn't have any clothes? Like I'm struggling to sell these flips. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I, the, there's a, there's a, um, there's almost like a market arrogance. I feel like a little bit like, yeah. well, where I live, you have to understand it's the DMV or it's Philly Metro. <laughs> and like, it, it never goes down. And I'm like, well, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. <laughs> I, there's people in all these markets struggling. I've talked to, I don't know, half a dozen guys that have had, so, you know, from, from big issues to just like you said, it's like, it's just a struggle right now. And I've got to position myself to ride it out. Uh, I know of guys that are, um, uh, we're, we're building really big consulting capital raising firms and doing really great, but their core clients who are abundance guys are just saying, Hey man, I, what we got is good, but I just don't have anything else I can buy right now. So there's a struggle in that because a lot of operators, uh, exist on acquisition fees, not not like them personally, but their business requires sure. that infusion of capital. So there's a lot of struggle out there. There's more than we know that there is. The frauds mm -hmm. are being, I think the frauds are being exposed early. So the mm -hmm. the 3,200 units down in, in um, Houston, I don't Houston. know if it's a fraud, but it, it looks like there, I mean, I think the guy fled the country, unless that's a rumor, but there's, there's some bad decisions made and then fraud uh, along with it, right? Like there's just whatever, or at least he, he became fraudulent at the end, raising capital and then leaving the country with it. That's what I heard. Um, right. There's a there's a lot of there's just a lot of reckoning. And again, I, I'm I don't know where in my portfolio, not quantum per se, but some of the other stuff I invest in, where it might be struggling. I have one operator I've invested not much in, but they've said like, yeah, we're struggling on on a good chunk of our portfolio, and here they are, and they've been very transparent and open. And that's great. That's good. But like rate caps got a lot of, oh, hey, we bought a rate cap. There was somebody I heard about a rate cap at an eight. Like, what's the point? Why have a rate cap? That's just <laughs> yeah. like, it sounds You're going to bleed it's out. Good. Right. Yeah. It's good marketing. But an eight rate cap is like, unless you're underwriting, unless you can prove in your underwriting that that is somehow benefiting you, that's not a rate cap. But you, we just hear these buzz phrases. So all of that is to say, I think this well, is they, a, with it with a with to your point, what they probably they could probably get like a four percent rate cap for a million dollars and an eight percent rate cap for seventy-five dollars, and they want to go market to their investors. Hey, rate we got cap. a rate cap, we're safe. <laughs> yep. Well, but that's that's on all of us too. And that's the thing. Like uh, outside a fraudulent operator, maybe even including a fraudulent operator, like due diligence, and I'm not great at it. It's not where I love spending time. I am mm -hmm. definitely I've invested plenty in groupthink deals, no doubt about it. But uh, uh, due diligence is, is the, is the real thing. It's the thing that you've got to be uh, focused on. So we've gotten comfortable with, oh, okay. I get what a rate cap is. Is there a rate cap? Yes. Good enough. Uh -huh. Not what's the rate cap. So there's a lesson. <laughs> 
What is the rate cap? How much is the rate cap? Let me see your back end underwriting. What kind of deals have you done through a recession? Like that level of due diligence is is being obviously uh, spotlighted right now. Like we have to do that. But as far as what I hear market wise uh, and what I'm, you know, my tea leaf reading or whatever, it it seems like, and I think the Fed is signal we'll have two more rate increases. Is it today that that the no the CPI comes out today? I think, but mm-hmm. the Fed meeting I think is next week. Fully anticipate they're going to raise by a quarter point. CPI should show inflation down to three percent today. I think three point one is well, the projection. The jo- it's the job market that's got them going, right? It's not it- meaning that it has not declined at all, right? Yes, the job. Yeah. So I think with the with the Fed, everything I hear, everybody intelligent I talk to, the Jay Scotts and everything is SVB wasn't a big enough break. It didn't break the economy enough. That was a that was a moment. SVB and I uh, forget the other one, Signature Bank, and maybe there's a couple yeah. of other small ones. But all that did was run up the big banks, right? Like all the all the regional banks got withdrawn from and rang up big ran up big banks. But something else has to give, and I think they're anticipating a couple more quarter point rate hikes. Will do two things. One, I think they, there's an anticipation it'll break the the uh, uh, employment uh, the strong the strength of employment, which it needs to it needs to do. Bring down employment levels or unemployment goes up. People are paid less. People have to people can't spend as much and vendors have to reduce their pricing. That's how inflation gets suppressed. Right. But the other one that's really interesting to me is sort of the 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 metropolitan commercial real estate market, non multifamily. Maybe multifamily is, is sort of a lag on it. But when you think about San Francisco, San Francisco has about a 60 percent physical vacancy rate right now. Companies like Nordstrom moved out, CVS, right. Walgreens out, but they're on these long-term triple net leases and the companies are viable. So they're they're saying, hey, look, we can pay 50 grand a month for the next year in rent and lose money operating, or we can just pay the 50 grand a month uh, in rent for the next year or try to negotiate a buyout. So the owners of these properties are okay because there's income coming in, even though they're empty, but there's no incentive to return to a San Francisco or whatever. So when I look at San Francisco in particular, maybe New York, some of these cities, San Francisco is the biggie. I see Detroit. I see yeah. another Detroit. Detroit, I live there. I live there when I'm not in the Dominican. Detroit, if you go there, there's a bustling center of the city. There's a lot going on. It's really good. They brought it back. Three billionaires have invested a ton. But then the rest of it is going through what they call urban clearing, meaning that there's so many houses and no one's coming back that they've just gone and cleared city blocks. Otherwise, you have squatters and yeah, you know yeah, dangerous yeah. buildings and all of that. That's San Francisco's risk right now. So the commercial real estate market is like an epidemic in major cities like San Fran, the, the sure. most liberal cities right, right, that, that right. have just gone way beyond yeah. and allowing crime hmm. and all of these other things to happen. So I think commercial real estate is the big break that's just going to happen whether they raise rates or not in the next six to 12 months. But we'll see. Retail and office in particular. I love how you referenced uh, Jay's. Jay, Jay's always my go-to when I have questions about uh, economics and how it relates to. I uh, I loved his I loved his book on the subject, and yeah. I've had a, it's so funny. It's so funny because I've had the running joke with Jay is he's always wrong on my show because he like I had him on during COVID the first time, and I was like, "What do you think, Jay?" And he's like, "Well, I think this, this, and this will happen." And then, uh, and then I had him on like two years later and I went back and listened to the first one and I opened up with, Hey Jay, everything you told me last time was wrong. What do you think is going to happen now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do the opposite of what you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jay's man, you had I mean, some great guests, man. You've had Jay. I saw you had, um, Brandon Turner. Yeah, no, but there was somebody recently that you had, Oh, uh, the, the mad, mad, uh, what is he? The mad yeah, scientist. Neil Bawa. Neil Bawa. Neil has been on, yeah. Neil's been on three times. Uh, yeah. Brandon Turner's been on, uh, who's the, uh, Who's the CEO over at Bigger Pockets? 
Oh, uh, Josh, not Josh Dorkin, yeah. uh, Scott yeah. Trench. Scott, Scott's been on. Yep. We, we've had Matt Faircloth been on. We've Amazing. Had a, we've had a lot of yes. a lot of great guests. It's so we'll go into that topic, you know, for a minute. Um, sure. So when I, I mean, you can you can you can jive on this subject, right? So like when I started the podcast, uh, it was in 2019. I'd bought 26 properties. I was managing them myself. I was pulling my hair out. I had a newborn baby. I just like something's got to give. And so I read Joe Fairless's book on the best ever apartment syndication book. And it talks about creating a thought leadership platform. Oh, yeah. It goes into, it goes into step-by-step detail, of which microphone to order, which hosting plan. Like it's such great how to, I said, I said, actually, I, I listened to it on audiobook while I was riding my bike. And then I was, I was like halfway through it. I was like, oh, this shit's gold. And I ordered a physical copy on Amazon and then sat there and went right through it. And it was like a highlighter. And so I created my podcast and what I found from creating my podcast is I could talk to anybody I wanted, yes. literally anybody I wanted. It was insane. So yes. like my fifth guest or something was Gino Barbaro from Jake and Gina. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I just emailed, or I didn't even email. I think Paul Moore like emailed him and said, Oh, you should be on Sterling's show. And so he goes, sure. I'd love to be on your show. And he came on my show and, and Gino's great. He did a great little spiel. And uh, two days later, I saw like an advertisement on like the Jake and Gino platform where he was selling a one hour coaching session for like $3,500. And I got my, my hour for free, you know? And, and like, I just think about it, about mindset. So I remember when I first, you know, started listening to bigger pockets. I remember, I remember training for triathlons, just running on the levee, listening to bigger pockets episode. I remember when Jake and Gino's podcast episode came on and I remember them talking about 1200 units. And I remember hitting skip because I had three houses at the time. And that was so far out of my ability to comprehend. I didn't even want to listen to it. I wanted to listen to the guy who was talking about how he got his sixth and seventh house. So I skipped, I remember skipping it because I was like, I couldn't even fathom that i did that real quick with a surge you remember surge shakat do you ever hear that guy on the podcast uh-huh. it's like surge shakat was a syndicator and there was another guy got his name he was out of ohio he moved to arizona ben something he's been around oh god i can't remember anyway but surge is going deep on syndication and i was there i was like i'm i'm gonna skip but this guy ben i can't remember his name he stops and he goes hey Look, Serge Chakot is a unique beast. Most people listening to this want to hear about. And then he went into like, how do I buy a duplex? And I was like, okay, good. I stayed in the episode. But otherwise I was ready. Like, what is this? I don't even know what syndication means. Like TV shows? Like what, what are you talking about? So that's funny. Same experience. <laughs> yes. But I mean, it's been, it's been great. Like, you know, Joe Fairless, the guy who wrote the book, you know, I asked him yeah. like when you're, when you, when you host a podcast, everybody's got a message. Everybody wants to get it out. Jamie had a message. He wanted to get it out. I reached out to him. I'm sure anybody who asked who DMs you. I bet you don't look at their ratings. I bet you don't look at their downloads. I bet anybody who DMs you and said, I got a podcast, love to have you on it. You would come give them their well, do you know why? message. Do you know why I do that? Why? It's not because I'm the most generous guy in the world, but it's because it gives me content. And so well, sure, look, sure. here's the trick with this. I don't know if you do this when you're a guest on shows, but I, we talked about this at the jump. I think when people are thinking about content creation, and I'll stay on this only a minute, they're thinking about, okay, I don't know how to think of that much stuff. Like you said, you make this list and I do the same. I make a list of like ideas, come to mind, like, oh, that'd be good to communicate. My audience would benefit from that. But the most smooth and efficient and best stuff, like when I'm in flow with content is when I'm not in creation mode, but I'm in documentation mode. So like right now on my laptop is QuickTime. Right now I'm recording this, me on QuickTime. It won't hear you. When I'm done, I hit save. I drop it into Google Drive. It goes to Dan. 
who takes the six snippets from what I'm talking about right now. Like if you go on my channel, you'll see a lot of me looking like this. I'm looking yeah. down, not at the camera because right. I'm looking at a, a podcast host and I'm able, there you go. There's your phone. We, You're we, recording we, you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I actually learned that from Brandon Turner. <laughs> Brandon does that. Brandon, I remember being on, um, uh, what was that? What was that app that got big? It was like a, like a, a talk app, a clubhouse. He was on Clubhouse, Clubhouse yeah. as was I. We all went on Clubhouse for a minute. And I remember seeing him in a video talking. And I, I like in the video, my eyes went down and you could see his phone with Clubhouse open. I'm like, that's brilliant. So I do it on phone calls. Like I'll have somebody on the phone sometimes. And I'll be like, you know what? I know what this conversation is going to be. Let me turn on the camera and just talk there as opposed to just being on the phone. Like why waste a minute? So documenting is literally not like put the camera on like, I'm sitting at my computer today. And that's not documenting. Documenting is simply as you do things throughout your day, finding ways to capture it and then yeah. allowing for a good editor or manager, uh, marketing director like you have to, to take the segments out that make sense for your audience and put it out there. But I don't have to create anything. It's all documented. Yeah. Well, one thing that I find with the documentation versus the, the content creation is it is. I'm more passionate in the documentation. So like 100%. they, they caught some videos of me at my meetup last week. I, we did, I brought my, you know, we were promoting the property management company. We only promote ourselves about once a year, but I, I brought my property manager. I brought my wife, we up there and had a panel and they, you know, we talked about our business and they did Q and a, and they videoed it and, and it created, the content was so much better because like, yeah they would get me on these things that I'm passionate about. And I just, ah, you know what I mean? And you, and like, when you look at the video, you're like, oh, dude, he meant that. Like, yeah. Yeah, I could tell, you know what I mean? And it's, it's just so raw and it's so real. And like, they, like they can, you can see me fired up and like, you get the message better versus me sitting. I mean, dude, I'll sit in a closet sometimes because yeah. people are so loud all around the office to try and stare at this camera and record content. It's like, yeah, I gotta record no, but on the podcast part, man, you're, you're so right. I can't tell you how many how many podcasts uh, meeting podcasts that I do are essentially coaching sessions because I'm the yeah. one asking the questions. And right, right. I'm like I said, there's every man. You're every man. People relate to you. So if you're interested, your audience is interested. Force constant education and force constant networking. If Big rent, I don't care if anybody ever listened to the Rent Roll Radio. But I'll tell you, doing it for the last three years, every single week I've met a new person and learned something new. You know what? Let me give you this quick story uh, about network, how important that is. And it and it stacks over time. We just hit episode 300, been a few years and all that. So I, I just uh, got on um, uh, an athlete, Corey Dillon. You, I think that might be what mm -hmm. you're referencing. You yeah. saw. So Corey Dillon's interesting. Uh, the reason I got him on is, you know, he's a he's a big time athlete, played for the Bengals, played for the Patriots, Super Bowl winner, Pro Bowler. And I love dissecting that peak performance. But- He's been very vocal in the last week about not getting into the Hall of Fame for the Bengals, pro football, or the Patriots. He's feeling snubbed, and he's aggressive about it. So I'm like, I want to dive in. I want to even play devil's advocate with this guy. So my mind goes into prep mode. Again, I love prepping for podcasts. And I'm like, all right, what would I? why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? I, You know what? I should talk to – I got to find like a Hall of Fame voter. Like, is there a list? Sure enough, there's a list. So I pull up the list, and like third on the list is a guy named Vic Carucci. Vic Carucci's written four New York Times bestsellers. He wrote Gruden's book. He wrote Bill Polian's book. He wrote uh, a couple of other guys' books, like big time bestsellers before Gruden, the controversy and everything. And he's a Buffalo Bills reporter. He's been a reporter for them forever. My favorite team. Well, hey, you know what? I happen to know a pro bowler that played for the Bills and is the color man for the radio team on the Bills because you know what? He has a podcast and needed to market it. And he came on mine. His name is Eric Wood, played at Louisville. So I text Eric Wood. 
hey, man, I can't find Vic Carucci. I don't know if you know him well or whatever, or just tell me to go away. But any chance you might have an email or just, just direct me where I can maybe get, get in touch with him. what radio station or TV station. He's like, oh, here's a cell phone. Text him. So I texted Vic today. Vic says, oh, I didn't even ask him to, but he goes, I'll come out of your podcast. I'm like, well, I didn't. That's cool. I wanted to ask you about Corey Dillon and why he's not in the Hall of Fame, but let's just do a whole podcast. So I record with Corey next Friday. I have Vic on Tuesday so that I can go into his story, but also ask about Corey and then have that piece of information to talk to Corey about. But oh, and then on top of that, I texted the owner of the Cincinnati Reds to ask him if he has any insight on why Corey Dillon locally in Cincinnati is not part of the Ring of Fame. Think about that network. Think about who I just contacted. I got a pro bowler coming on. So I talked to a pro bowler, an Emmy winning four-time New York Times bestseller and a major league baseball team owner. Those are all people in my network. Thanks to podcasting. And it's not like I'm cool. It's just think about the resources you have. And by the way, a little tip with Eric, when he came on my podcast, I went on Etsy and I bought him a, it was like $120 custom football painted with his new podcast logo on it and his podcast statement on the back of it and mailed that to him to say, thank you. Not because I wanted anything, but I'm sure it, I'm sure he has a memory if it's in his office of that guy, Jamie, that bald, short white dude he gave me that like dude where'd you get that from oh this podcaster jamie he's a good guy i never asked him for anything one time i humbly said if you could just direct me i'd appreciate it and he's like here's his number so that's awesome just some tips for the sake of time i want to hop to our radio round real quick we got Sorry, yes, go for we got three <laughs> questions um i didn't prep you so most of the time i prep people but but i didn't prep you because i didn't think that's wrong the first one is what's your favorite book don't say rich Shepard. It's not Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It is Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill with Sharon Lecter. It is Better Than Think and Grow Rich. It was written in early 1920s, but was too controversial to release at the time. Yeah. Came out in like 03, remastered. Sharon Lecter did a great job with it. It is absolutely the devil's due, and I don't even mean that in a religious sense, is to make you a drifter, is to make you not go after what you want in life. And that book just hit me so hard, and I've given that book out to more people than any other book, Outwitting the Devil. That was the third book I ever read in my life. Come on. Nobody's heard of this book. No kidding. Was, oh, yeah. I, so I, I'm very, very dyslexic and growing up, I never read. Like I, I didn't read my first book until I was uh, 27. Wow. And then, and then my second book was Think and Grow Rich. And then my first book was Drop the Rock at 27. A, a week later, my, my, my second book was Think and Grow Rich. And then a week later, my third book was Outwitting the Devil. Well, there you go. You get it then. Yep. Yep. Uh, next question is what's your favorite quote? You've already dropped two quotes on us. So let's get a, let's get another one. I know you got another one. Uh, I, I, they're always, they're always kind of like, uh, I always have new favorite quotes. So I don't have one that I've yeah. had forever, but I just got this from Benjamin Hardy on the podcast. And it, and at first I didn't understand it, but, and, and let me make sure I don't butcher it. It is, um, the obstacles are not what, what block you from getting your goals. It is the easier pursuit of another goal. Sure. And it took, Took me a minute to figure that out, but essentially good is the enemy of great. Exactly. It's essentially saying that, you know, it's not the obstacle that gets you where you want to go down there. It's like, well, here's a goal. I can, I can, you know, I can schedule that trip I've been meaning to schedule, like this lesser, easier goal that you go after yeah. that blocks you from pursuing the big goal. I like that quote. Yeah, love it. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? You know, I'm a, I'm a play with my kids, of course, you know, we're, my older kids playing soccer, but I just, you know, I'm geeking out on Buffalo Bill stuff. I've probably Googled Buffalo Bills 12 times a day, but when I'm stressed, I Google, like I'm a huge Bills fan. So anything having to do with that time of year, that team, that's probably the, the thing I do with my spare time. Goofy enough as it is. 
Awesome. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining the show. How can our listeners get in touch with you, learn more about you, invest with you, join Emerge with you? What's the best way to connect with Jamie Gruber? Yeah, www.goabundancymerge.com to apply for membership there. Uh, otherwise, check out Tribe of Millionaires on any platform and uh, would love for a rating and review. Awesome, Jamie. I really appreciate you joining the show and uh, look forward to keeping up with you on your journey. Thanks, brother. This episode was brought to you by Crestworth Capital. If you're a busy professional and ready to make passive income from real estate investing, then go to CrestworthCapital.com where you'll be able to download a free copy of our ebook to help you get started today. Until next week, happy investing.